I'm just going to read for us. Before I do, let me pray. Father, I pray as we hear these words that you will speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. It starts off in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, If you've come to Canterbury Gardens Community Church or you've been here long enough, you have heard this passage before. We've actually talked about this passage. I've actually spoken about this passage. Even this week when I was chewing on this passage, I had to force myself not to scull these words down like a quick drink as I head out of the house. I had to force myself to pause, to read, to let these words soak in like a good marinade sauce and a good piece of steak. To really hit my soul. Because church, before we go on with singing, before we go on to communion, before the kids head out to kids' church, we need to pause and realize who Jesus is. Jesus is the exact handprint of God. He is God himself. He is the one who starts. He's the one who finishes. He's the Messiah. He's the one who's been waiting for and who came All of life exists because of him and for him. Jesus is in many ways a super glue to all of life. You take him out of life itself, all of this world will cease to exist. Jesus is, if you want to use modern day language, the senior pastor of every Christ-centered church, including this one. He's the one who directs us through his spirit. He's the captain, the coach, the team manager, all in one. He is God. He's the glorious picture of what we will be when we become like him in that we will have a new body, we will be a part of this new creation when we die or when Jesus returns and takes us home. When you see Jesus, when you read about him or listen about him, you're actually hearing God himself speak because he is God. And if you want to know God of the universe, you cannot know him unless you know Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who paid for your sins, my sins. Jesus is the one who died for you and for me. Jesus is the one who raised again on the third day. None of us here ever did that, ever will do that. Jesus is the one who opens the door of grace for us. Not by religious acts, by going to church on Sundays by putting our faith in him. Jesus is the one who truly has bought peace by his blood. So if you want true peace in your soul, in your heart, you need to get to know Jesus. You need to cultivate a relationship with him. And you need to share him, because that's where true peace comes from. So Canterbury Gardens Community Church desires to declare Jesus, because he is the answer to all of life. Canterbury Gardens has been here for a while. In 1987, between 1987 and 1998, two churches combined 
They met together to discuss of merging and becoming one church. And out of Canterbury Gardens, out of that, Canterbury Gardens was born. In 1991, a service began here on this property. And as a church, we've been through a lot of changes. We've actually been through a lot of challenges. We've also been through great joys. But yet, through all of these seasons of our church, there's only been one constant, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the one constant of this church. He's always the one. Now, the reason why I want to start here is I want to just let you know a few things. One, my Muslim friends, they meet on Friday nights to worship their God. They have prayer life. They have devotions. They actually have programs for their different uh, groups, their youth groups and so on. Uh, Up here in the basin, there's a, a, a Hindu temple. At the Hindu temple, they have priests or pastors. They even actually gather together. They actually have a committee of management who actually helps that temple run. They actually serve food to the helpless and the homeless. They have uh, marriage counseling. And not only that, there's other religious groups or non-religious groups that have committees, they have programs, they run all these things. But they are missing Jesus Christ. And that's why we start with Jesus Christ. That's why we have these things that we run in our church to make everyone know Jesus and make him known. So as we begin this new season at Canterbury Gardens, we want you to consider joining us in this mission, in this great adventure that Jesus has called us in. Would you help us make Jesus known to declare him in our lives, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our homes, in all our ministries that we run at Canterbury Gardens, in our schools, in our universities, here in Melbourne, Victoria, and Kilsyth, in Australia, and finally all around the world. Would you join us in that adventure? And around the world, we want to be, not around the world, we want people to know us. We want people to know about Canterbury Gardens. And people may even talk about us. Some may even say, you've got a really good-looking Indian pastor at your church. <laughs> Probably not. I hope they ever, never, ever say that. Some may even say uh, that, look, you know what? You've got some great ministries and programs. You've got this fantastic playground. You've got all these youth group. You've got a uh, kids club. You've got all these wonderful ministries. Some may even actually not agree with us. Some may even say to us, listen, we, we don't like your view on marriage. We don't like your view on abortion. We don't like your view on these things. And you are very exclusive. You're telling me that Jesus is the only way. Church, our prayer as a leadership is that we are known to be a church that talks about Jesus all the time. And we're okay with that. We want to be okay with that. Because you know what, church? We will be tempted. We will be tempted to move away from making Jesus known. We will be tempted to find our hope in our programs, which are good, but we'll find our hope in it in our buildings, in our community that we are parts of friends. If you want to know how to pray for your leaders of this church, pray that we'll constantly desire to make Jesus known, that everything that we do in this church will point to that. So in regards to that, if you're new to Canterbury Gardens, we want to invite you to be part of this adventure to declare Jesus, to make him known. And if you are going to join this adventure, I'm just warning you, there will be challenges that will come, but Jesus is constant. If you don't know Jesus, we love that you're here. 
But we would love it more that if you really get to know who he is, because he will change your life. If you've been part of Canterbury Gardens for a while, and you are involved in different ministries in our church, one of the questions we're going to be unpacking over this year is to ask yourself the question, does what I'm doing make Jesus known? Does what I'm doing make Jesus known? Does it point everyone to Jesus? Up here on the screen, um, I think it's towards the end of the PowerPoint, you'll see, guys. We've been working on this as leadership. We'll unpack this today. Canterbury Garden exists to make Christ known, being transformed by His Spirit for God's glory. Canterbury Garden exists to make Christ known, being transformed by His Spirit for God's glory. We desire to disciple people. We desire to deploy people. We desire to declare Jesus. In light of this, in light of who Jesus is this morning, you know one of the main reasons we have communion? It's not just a religious practice. The reason why we have communion is that we deeply desire for you to remember Jesus Christ. We desire for you to remember his grace, his love. And we desire for you to do this to, in many ways to almost preach the gospel to yourself each Sunday in a simple, practical way, remembering what he has done. So this morning, as you partake in communion, I would ask for you to take the bread and remember Jesus. Remember what he's done. And maybe even commit in your heart to make him known. As the grape juice comes around, I want you to hold this. Because the grape juice we drink together as a church because we are one body. And it's a symbol of the spilled blood that Jesus shed. If you don't know Jesus, can I encourage you to please pass that on? Don't be embarrassed. But our prayer is that you will know him. In light of that, I'm going to invite the ushers to come out to get the communion ready. And I'm going to pray for that. Lord, as we partake in this wonderful reality, this wonderful truth of communion, we remember who you are. We remember you, Jesus, your grace, your love. And we take this in remembrance of you and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, have you got the uh, why we exist statement to memory yet? No, I didn't think so. To make Jesus known, being transformed by his spirit for God's glory. It's a weighty statement. And it's a wonderful statement. Because you know what? God has a bodybuilding program. And his bodybuilding program sits within these four walls and it's called his church. And not only does he have a bodybuilding program for us, he provides the power in which we can do it. You know, I don't know, some of you might laugh at this, but once upon a time in times past, I was an athlete. And, yeah, thanks Sam, I heard the snigger. And you know what, when you, when you go in for some athletic endeavour and pursuit, you've got to be really rigid around training schemes and around, uh, you've got to be disciplined around skills, 
disciplined around fitness, disciplined around many aspects to reach the goal. And in many ways, it's the same in the church. And we recall being disciplined in discipleship, being disciplined in encouraging one another in the transformation process is vital of any healthy church. And we just want to unpack that a little bit today and encourage you that we're all part of this community and we all need to have a desire put on our hearts by the Lord himself to be transformed. I'm going to read some verses from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 says this, and he, gave the, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is, is equipped and each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And that's a wonderful purpose statement of what the importance of discipleship is. We read through these scriptures, we can see some wonderful principles Firstly, we see that we are a body. Do you know what? As a body, every different member has different functions. In other parts of Scripture, it talks about some are ears, some are eyes, some are legs, some are Indians, Australians, and New Zealanders. We're all part of the same body. And we can't function without one another. But you know what? In the body, the body is equipped some to leadership, but you know what? All to maturity. That's the heart of us here at Canterbury Gardens. We know from this portion of Scripture, which is talking about what unity in the body is like, that there are some that God gifts for leadership. He names them here. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers, or pastors and teachers. For the sole purpose of equipping, for the sole purpose of teaching, training, building up the body of Christ for the purpose of having a body that is unified around Jesus, around the declaration of Jesus. So we have a desire within this place to have some to leadership but all to maturity. That's our heart. All to maturity. And we're excited that this year we're going to embark on a few different things. We're going to look at this all to maturity situation. We, we want to run some marriage courses this year. We want to run an everyday conflict course. And we want to run some intentional leadership development courses. 
to try and have us all foster into maturity. Small group ministry. It's a place of maturing one another, sharpening one another. As iron sharpens iron, so we sharpen one another around the word of God. We wrestle with the truths of scripture. We wrestle with who Jesus is. Why? So we transform into the likeness of Jesus. And the other why that gives us here is so that we are no longer people or no longer a church that gets tossed to and fro by every sort of wind of doctrine or every sort of human cunning or craftiness or deceitful schemes. When we mature in Christ, that's what happens. We, we can start cutting the edge and we can start seeing what the world offers is of no value compared with what Christ teaches us in truth. You know, I know I look around your faces out in the congregation and I was really deeply moved when we sang the song 10,000 Reasons. Because as I scanned across the congregation, I don't know all of you intimately, but I know situations are going on that are crippling and debilitating. And yet as a united voice, we could turn and say, we just bless you, God, no matter what our circumstances are. That's maturity. That's not being taken in or sucked in by deceitful craftiness or schemes. It's resting and taking your heart and knowing the truth of who God is and what he proclaimed through Christ and living it. And that's our heart for discipleship. We want to be mature in the fact that we know the truth and live by the truth. And we want to be mature in the fact that as a loving congregation, as we do these things in love, we can encourage one another. We can get beside one another. That may be in a one-on-one situation, maybe in a small group setting. It may be in a broader corporate setting. But you know, when we talk about when the Bible talks about discipleship is for our benefit. It's not some idea that churches have made up to... Actually, well, that's a good idea. Christ himself talked about it and says, Go, make disciples, teaching them everything that I've taught you, baptizing them, proclaiming him. And that's what we want to be known as part of our mission and vision is to be people who are discipling one another so that we live that gospel-centered life. And I unpack that. Gospel-centered life means we make wise decisions. We make decisions based on the gospel. A gospel-centered life means that we don't have ongoing conflicts. It means we understand the power of redemption, the power of forgiveness, and we work through that and love one another. It's just an example. Living a gospel-centered life means we take our children and we train them in the way of the Lord. It means we look at our grandchildren and we nurture them. We nurture them in God's ways. It means that we take our marriages seriously. We don't play the fool. 
We love one another, husband and wife, for the glory of God. That's what gospel centered means. It means you have no discussion or no even thought of hopping off and seeing 50 shades of grey. Because you know that is anti the gospel. You cultivate your heart of love for God. You serve him wholeheartedly in all areas of life. That's what a gospel-centered life looks like. And you know what? It's not about your effort. It's about what the Spirit of God does in your heart. And the Spirit of God uses the Word of God and uses our collective community to encourage one another in his love. As a result... This is what we want our community to look like. Instead of being fooled by the world, instead of being infiltrated by truth that has been marred and, and, and just a, a deceptive lie, we're a people that speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Sometimes that's tough, isn't it? You know that with your kids sometimes, that... You have to speak into their lives when they're doing something that's completely wrong. It's tough love. You've got to speak the truth in love. As a community, we need to speak the truth in love. Keep one another accountable. But not on our own personal standards. You keep one another accountable based on the fact that Christ's spirit is in work in a person's life, transforming and changing them. You and I never change anybody. Have you got that figured out? You and I in Christian community can never change anybody. I can't change my wife. can't change my kids. I can model certain behaviours, but the only thing that changes you is the Spirit of God convicting you and moving you in a certain direction for his glory. So we want to be people that speak the truth in love. We want to be a body that's joined together, equipped, so all on this process of maturing, so we can see growth and love. That's a challenge. Huge challenge. But vitally important. Join us in it. Let's, let's just see what God will do as his spirit transforms us into Christ's image as a body. I love my job that I do. Some of you know I work part-time too, but uh, the absence of God for those days and in things that are said are, are difficult sometimes. You have to remind yourself who you belong to. And so I am, uh, from the moment that the music started in communion this morning, just um, so attached again uh, to God and to his people here. Um, and interesting enough, uh, Nathan was saying there's one uh, 10,000 reasons for going who's looking around and doing the same thing, Nathan, and looking at our people. And um, somebody mentioned to me last week, it's like, in many respects, for a suffering church too. There's so many things uh, that are going on here. Uh, but to love each other is so important. Uh, but I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm so grateful to be with you guys uh, this morning uh, too. So why don't we grab our swords and head for the, the book of Ephesians, the, the word of God uh, that is the sword. And in the next 10 minutes, I want to encourage us. I want to challenge us in regards to deployment, in regards to our work in the Lord's service as we look at the third uh, of the D's. 
looking at uh, Ephesians 2. You know, grace, faith and works are three terms and three concepts and three realities that we must grab hold of. We've got to grasp so that we can comprehend the plan of redemption that God has provided for us. Say those three words, grace, faith and works. Say them for me. Okay, you know, those words have sometimes produced uh, some confusion in some people and suddenly you have these doctrines of uh, faith only or grace, I'm excluded from everything else because I live under grace and so nothing else matters, false, or grace and faith, but there's no works that are being demonstrated by those who are claiming those things. And sometimes even works, I'm doing works and it's going to get me to heaven uh, too, it's rubbish. In the book of Ephesians, you can see this tremendous harmony that Paul gathers these three things together and talks about showing that you cannot have one of these things without having all of these things. And all of these things come uh, from the Lord himself. Let's have a look at chapter 2 together. I'm going to read uh, the first seven verses, which are going to lead up to uh, the two verses I really want to speak uh, on. That's 8 and eight, nine. Sorry, the two verses, 8, 9 and 10, um, and particularly uh, 10 too. But I think 1 to 7, which is split in two halves in many respects, uh, helps us uh, get there. Follow along. And you were dead... In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's one sentence. Thanks, Paul. He does it a lot, doesn't he? But... God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Yay. Verses 1 to 7, have a look again. We were dead in our sins, verse 1. We carried out the desires of the body and mind. We were children of wrath. In other words, we were heading for eternal death because we didn't have Jesus, just like the rest of mankind. And then in verse 4, what's the little three-letter word that we love? What is it? Call it out. But, but God in his mercy and in his great love for us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive in Christ, verse 5. Call out some other ones, verse 6 and 7. What, What else did he do? Verse 6 and 7, call them out to me. What else has he done? Raise us up together in heavenly places. What else has he done? Yeah, what else has he done? What's he showed? Indeed, showing the exceeding riches of grace. And who's doing all this, by the way? Who is doing this? And who is not doing this? Us. Good answer. And then in Ephesians 2, 8 Uh, to 9, Paul summarises this amazing scheme of redemption. In fact, all the way through to 10, but I'm going to look at 8 and 9 first. Let's look at verse 8 and 9. Anybody goes, oh yeah, I know this one. No, 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 read this really carefully. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. What is this grace? This grace is Jesus himself and the work that he has done at the cross. His work at the cross is the heart of our salvation. And then, verse 10, what are we created for? Let's read on. Let me read it all again. For by grace have you been saved through faith. 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want you to notice the word workmanship. For we are his workmanship. Um, I'm not a Greek scholar and I asked my other scholars in there. The, the word is, I think it says poema or poema. It doesn't matter what it is. But actually, you know what it means? It actually means a work of art or a masterpiece. So let me read it to you again. For we are his masterpiece. We are his work of art created in Christ Jesus for good works. Wow, what a privilege that he would allow us to be used for his work and for his purposes. God has saved us by his grace through our faith. And we have become his workmanship to serve him. And maybe some of you are sitting and thinking, well, I don't know. I, I know I believe in Christ and I know I gave my life to him, but... I don't seem to be doing stuff. Is there, is there anything for me? Is there anything for me? I go along and I see people going there and doing this and doing that, but I'm, I'm, I, I can't see that I'm doing something. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to hear the end of verse 10 again. Can we have a look at it? For we are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good work, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's the good news. For every single person who belongs to Christ, he has already got our work sussed out before you were even in your mother's womb, that we would walk in them. There is no Christian alive that can say, I just have no work to do in God's so I just can't see that. It's rubbish. It's absolutely a lie. For God, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. It's already done, it's there, that we should walk in them. Yes, there is work in his service for you. And the joy of this, all right, it, the joy is that the work that God has prepared for us to do is designed to bring him glory. And can I tell you, some people, when you, you read that, even some Christians, they wince a little bit. And there's this funny pride and struggle thing that some of us still go with, which says, and, and I have been there, believe me, I have been there, where we go, yeah, but I'm doing a pretty good job. I'm actually pretty proud of, of that thing. I, I did that thing. And the works that they are doing, there's such a danger of missing the mark and the whole glorifying of God in the actions and the works that he has prepared for us to do. Because what joy comes to us when we fully understand that God's masterpiece that he's created, which is us for good works, that we can bring him glory uh, with the things that he directs us to do. A couple of things that God words, uh, God's word tells us about works. Timothy 6.18 tells us to be rich in good works, generous, be ready to share. Titus 2.7 says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Titus 2.14 tells us that God is purifying for himself not for us, purifying for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 
Do we say, well, I'm going to be zealous for God. I need to be zealous. No, no, no. He's doing that in us by his spirit. That's a wonderful thing. We have been saved by God's wonderful grace through our faith in him to do his good works. God has inseparably joined grace, faith and works together in his plan for the salvation of man. So when we talk about being deployed into God's work, we can now see what's behind what he's uh, prepared for us. And where do we go about doing these good works that he's created for us? In Acts 1 8 we read, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in uh, Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Being deployed into the Lord's work, you may end up being witnesses in Kilsyth and all Bendigo and Mildura and to the ends of the world. That's how it might be. There is this misconception sometimes with the general populace that sit in the congregation sometimes that, well, I'm not going on the mission field or I'm not doing that or I'm not doing here. It is not necessary to be a missionary in a far-off land because there is a mission field in this country, in this city, in this community, in this church. God deploys us or sends us each and every day into our places of work, into our universities and into our schools. You know what? And there still might be people saying, but I don't know what the work is. Have you honestly ever come before God and said, God, I know that you have saved me by your grace and through the faith that you gave me to believe in you. But you also tell me that I'm created for good works in you. Lord, will you show me what those works are? Have you ever prayed that before? If you don't know what he's doing in your life, to pray and ask him, Lord, I know that you've created me for good works in Christ. Would you please reveal to me what those things are? And he will do that because he has a plan for you before you were born. Isn't that exciting? Get one of these on your face when you hear that. That is great news. Simple case of deployment. It's a weird thing. I've been at this conference, and as I said, I'm so pleased to be back with God's people. The, uh, God, I believe, has put me in that, that situation for three days a week. And he's doing some exciting things. And I'm excited by being deployed into that place. And only yesterday um, I was going into one of the corporate rooms to get changed because I had to book out early because I I leave uh, that night, the other stay. And um, as I went in, I saw uh, one of the ladies who's uh, one of the managers. I love her. She's a lovely, lovely woman. Not a Christian, but she's just a a good, lovely person. I I just really love her. And... um, she was on her phone, and as I walked in the room, I went to smile at her, and she didn't smile back at me. And I thought, oh, okay. And as I walked through the door, I heard the word ambulance. I went, oh, I wonder what that is. A couple of minutes later, she knocked on my door in tears, and her uh, son, uh, who was uh, down at the beach envelope uh, somewhere, I think, had been in the water and came out and was vomiting and could not stop vomiting and was falling on the ground and fainting and... Uh, she, he was with her sister. They put him in an ambulance and she heard that they were driving him to the one Thaggy hospital and she was quite distraught. So we sat and we talked and very clearly uh, I believe that God said, pray for her. And so I said, um, Cherie, would it be okay if I prayed for her? She said, yeah. So here we are in the foyer at the hotel in town, the conference of 600 billion people, that's what it seemed like in the place, and we sat together and I was able to pray for her and she said thank you I don't even I think she might have been thinking well listen I'll I'll go for anything at the moment I know you're a pastor let's just try that you know Uh, but later um, the child is okay the child's gonna be okay too and um, and Cherie's response later back was just to thank you for for doing that 
No biggie on me. God deployed me into that situation for that moment to be able to love and care for that person. Folks, that is our job. Whether you're a missionary, whether you're going to Indonesia, whether you're already in Papua New Guinea, whether you're in Poland, our mission and our deployment is in everyday life that Jesus gives us. Every single day of our life. And I want to just encourage you. What are you doing with your lives in Christ? Are they sitting sedimentary? There's nothing going on. Or are you willing now to come before him and say, Lord, I understand these verses. I want to be deployed into your service, both in the community, within our church, Lord God, too. Would you show me what it is, the work that you have prepared in advance for me so that I can bring glory to you? Let's pray together. Lord God, we declare that Jesus is Lord. Lord God, we desire that we would disciple each other and that you might teach us through your spirit how to do that. And Lord God, we are ready to be part of your service Lord God, would you show us clearly through your word and through each other, through your body as we encourage each other as to the work that you have for us to do each day of our lives as we wake up and realize that this is a new day and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord God, we want to tell you, Jesus, that we love you. We want to again just, uh, this church, Father, uh, kneel before you, come before you and just say uh, thank you and our desire is to have your desire, Lord God, not of ourselves, but all of you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are extremely blessed also through the riches we have in Christ. Father, we are mindful that uh, these are just mere words on paper. But Father, we just uh, we pray that by your Spirit, will be uh, a church that is committed to declaring you, declaring Christ and the work he's done both to one another and to our community. Father, we pray that we'll continually lean on your spirit in the discipleship process as we disciple one another. Father, we long to be transformed each day into Christ's image. Father, develop in us a deep love for the Saviour we pray. And Father, we want to be a people who are deployed for the works you have already for us, prepared for us in advance. Help us not to walk around with our eyes shut, but with our eyes open to the many opportunities you give us on a daily basis to proclaim Jesus. So Father, as a local expression of your body here in Kilsyth South, we seek your help, we ask for your guidance. Father, help us to be wholehearted in our resolve and our commitment to following you. We praise, uh, pray this in the powerful name of Christ our Saviour and Lord. Amen. Thanks. Please uh, join us uh, for a cup of tea, a cup of coffee and some fellowship time together. <laughs>